Insight into instruction, combining and cultivating conversations between instructors and students. Welcome to Triple I, Insight into Instruction. My name is Jamie. I'm Annabelle. And I'm Fabulous. But you can call me Thomas. Today's episode, we are reflecting on our experiences as learners and presenters during the Lilly Conference in San Diego on January 5th through the 8th, 2023. During the conference, we presented multimodal formative assessments, harnessing student creativity for deeper learning with Dr. Jessica Masterson. We were also able to observe other presentations throughout the three days. Some of the presentations we attended were Efficacy and Decisional Balance, Guiding the Use of Effective Learning, Decolonized Grading, Improving Outcomes for Students with ADHD, Teaching Teamwork and Conflict Resolution Using Problem-Based Learning, Beyond Intelligence, The Role of Non-Cognitive Factors in Student Success, Supporting Faculty and Warming the STEM Environment for Minoritized Students, and finally, a roundtable conversation called Striving for Digital Equity. presentations were geared towards PhD professors and their college students. Being BA students working in elementary or secondary education, what were some of the things that you felt were most valuable for your practice? Personally, I thought it was really interesting to see a lot of the same concepts and theories that have been applied at the elementary ed level being talked about at the higher education level. That was intriguing for me to hear and see also how they were being applied to adult students and where the variable factors come in with adult students that you don't necessarily have to consider with children in comparison to what factors we have to consider with kids that you don't have to consider with adults. So the differences in what struggles there were within the same concepts was interesting to me. During this conference, I thought a lot about how our program has prepared us for going out there and teaching students. And a lot of the things that we watched and we observed from these college professors was stuff that is already embedded so in depth within our program Mm -hmm. to be thinking about, to be um, inspired about, and also to be mindful about when teaching. Um, Like we've already talked about um, how the grading system that we were raised on isn't actually effective for student success. It actually could be more detrimental to students because they're so trying to get to this grade. And if you look at the grading system in general, out of 100 points, if you don't got 70 or more points, you you don't pass. And that's 70 points that is like, they did 70 points worth of something or 70% of something. Mm -hmm. And that is like the marginal difference in between those like D, C, C minus, C plus. It's so, so fractionally minute that it just doesn't, it's not equitable and it's not, it's it's more stress. And even me as a college student, it causes a lot of stress with just grading in general. I do love the way that we now think about it in a way of like, are we meeting the criteria or are we meeting the success, uh, meeting the standard um, or approaching the standard or have we exceeded that standard? And that gives more of a thought about how we as elementary education teachers as and as well as college professors are able to like use that lens and think about it differently because we're not just saying, okay, you got an A, but what does that A consist of? How can they improve? Did they actually meet that standard? What about what about the student with a C? Mm-hmm. I know you give us some feedback, but is it st- is it reflecting on standards or is it reflecting on grammatical correctness? 
things that you're not actually testing for or grading for. So it's just all those things. I know it just spelled out a lot, but like, that's what, like, it just, it really helped me understand that our program really has prepared us for success. But it's also great that I hear individuals with PhDs having the same problems that I have. For sure. So it like puts us like on the same level Mm -hmm. of understanding and being mindful. Yeah. And I thought that was just inspiring as well as like, okay, we're all with the same struggle. Well, I think, and with the grading thing that you're talking about, going from the old school ABCD versus what we're doing now that it's more based on one, two, three, four, but then also taking that knowledge of rubrics and really saying Mm -hmm. spelling, like you said, spelling it out for them, Mm -hmm. that this is how you get this. It's something that is more accessible to any student. They're not like, oh, I have to get an A, B, C, or D, but I, I have no information on how to get that. So it's more just, am I meeting what you want? What do you want? Versus here, let me show you how to get to each of these sections. How it's outlined, mm-hmm. how everything is laid out, and how how each point or each percentage is being earned. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's really just bullet pointed out. Like if I hit this, 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 and this, I know that I'm within this number, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, yeah, I think that that's, that is something that our program has really trained us for. I mean, constantly making us talk about rubrics for ourselves, but also talking about how can we include our students in that, which is interesting because I don't think any of the ones that we talked about were making rubrics with their students as far as the, the college professors, right? But I think that that is something that could be utilized. Definitely. In college. Now for me, what was, what I found really interesting was that the things that were being brought up for college students and the issues that they were having were things that start at kindergarten. Oh, a hundred percent. It's these things could have been corrected when they start in school, in elementary school, so that they're not showing up as problems when they go into college. Right. Or there was the one I went to on non-cognitive factors, right? And that's something as elementary educators, we talk about all the time, but we don't talk about it as non-cognitive factors. We talk about it as what does their home life look like? What does their drive look like? What does this look like, right? And those are the factors. Those are like the behavioral factors, right? right? That we see and we work with more with those, I feel like, than with their where they are academically to help them be successful, Versus with the ivory tower type complex that comes with secondary education, there's a lot more of a focus on students are either succeeding or failing because of intelligence. Right. right? So that that presentation that I sat in on was really cool because it was finally engineering professors of all people from Cal Poly sitting in and really looking at, was it the intelligence of our students that was making them succeed? Or was it everything else around it? And they looked at sense of belonging. They looked at what they like self self identified grit. They looked at study skills. They looked at their identity within the engineering profession. Like, do they still feel like they should be engineers? Do the students still feel that sense passion. of passion throughout the program because they started at bachelor's and worked their way up t- towards seniors and surveyed them each year? So how? And that's, we talk about that a little bit as efficacy Mm -hmm. almost, but how has that changed? How is the climate that the engineering program was creating 
either helping their students succeed or helping their students draw. Well, and this kind of goes on to the next question. Um, so I don't want to go too far into it. But what I noticed is that this self-identified grit and it's all CLR, culturally, linguistically responsive. And are we meeting them where they're at? We're going into two to three years off of COVID learning. And so are these college students, but these college students have potentially had more support up until then versus kindergartners. You're in third grade, Annabelle. I'm in fourth grade. They didn't have that support in home during COVID, right? but they also didn't have uh, agency mm-hmm. because they weren't, they're not at that point. Their brain development isn't at that point. So we're coming off of this really hard thing at a younger age, whereas the college students and and granted, New college students may not have had that as well. I'm not saying that everyone gets it. But Mm -hmm. if you're coming in as a kindergartner who has never gone to preschool. Or daycare or or anything. Yeah. So you bring me to, that brings me to a wonderful point. If you think about kindergarten the way we did when we were younger, you think about, you know, you had centers, you were able to go around, you actually played, you learned your ABCs, you learned how to write your name, how to count to 20, And we still do that. But the issue is, is that what kindergarten looks like now, it looks like it did when you were in second, first to second grade. Mm -hmm. You're at rest. You are working on worksheets. You are doing curriculum is being shoved into your throat because the curriculum is written for students that have a, a background that has, they already know all their letters. They come in already knowing writing their name. Or this is what they're supposed to. This high. This is what the the curriculum has chosen for the norm of all students coming into programs. Mm-hmm. And I work at a title, or I don't. I teach at a Title One school, and my students did not come in with that. Right. So we're not only playing catch up to get them to that point, because by the end of kindergarten, they should be writing full sentences. They should know all their letters. They should know all their sounds. So are they you expecting to... them to know how to read too? They should know how to, uh, so we're like, teaching them syllables and how to sound things out. We should be teaching them sight words or heart words mm-hmm. and also to, to learn how to read. And there are students who, I have a couple of students who did go to preschool before and that can do those things. And then I have students who, who just can't. Right. And that, that not that they can not eventually, it's just they, they have to be, it, it feels like you're rushing them to get to this point. Right. Because we're already in February and I have to now get them to by the end of kindergarten have all of those criteria met at least most of them at least 75 percent or more well there was an expectation of equality of everyone having the same thing and that's where that clr comes in is that they didn't come from the same place and and uh, do you give homework uh through okay there are some places that potentially are still giving homework but and this is sort of where my passion lies is the socioeconomic Part of that mm-hmm. where you're giving homework online, but these pe- certain people don't have access to either internet or computers. The school doesn't have enough money to provide Chromebooks mm-hmm. or provide tablets. And you're having this expectation that they're able to do that. And what you were saying before, Annabelle, is that you're looking at it uh, as are they doing their work because they're intelligent or are they not doing their work because they're lazy, right? There's, the, right. there's no in-between at some points, people are just like, well, they didn't do it. They just didn't want to, right? But did they have access to getting that? And that's Where is that coming from? It brings, like, oh, go ahead. it brings us back to that same 
video that we've seen a few times now throughout the program, right? But the students do well if they can versus students do well if they want to, right? And the more time I spend in the elementary schools, the more I'm seeing the mindset of students do well if they want to. Which is interesting because we're out of Title I school and deeply, like, I don't think that those teachers really believe students do well if they want to. I think we believe that students do well if they can. But the issue with that is the changes that need to be made to make it so students can, right, are things that are parental or are at home for the most part. And part of the school where I'm at is regardless of if these parents want to be able to help or not, because all parents want what's best for their child, it's the issue of even being able to get in contact with them Hmm. long enough to give them the support that they need because we have so many parents where there's language barriers or parents that are working all of the time during our school hours when we can contact them. So it's an issue of getting that parent involvement in the door, let alone making those connections at home. Yeah, and they talked about that at the college level as well. Mm -hmm where there are students who are still obviously living at home and they have a lot of things that they have to depend on their parents for, like even with the PLUS loan, when you're going in, mm-hmm. if you are, if you're like your parent has to do yeah. that. You and can't get they... loans into your 24 unless you become like, not necessarily emancipated, but you have to file at the yeah. pendant. And if not, your parents, it's all tied to them. So if they make too much... Yep. Then you don't get that loan and then parents can't actually give you that. So then students can actually just go full and focus on college. Mm-hmm. Right. They then have to work either a full-time job or part-time job to, to pay for all of the in-between well, to survive. But with the PLUS loan, if they're denied, then they automatically are able to go through and fill out the MPN and the EC and get independent loans. Mm-hmm. But if they are able to do the plus loan because they have, because they're low income, the parents have to do the plus loan. But if they're low income, do they want to take out a plus loan? Right. Like, and then there's, and also does their credit allow for them to take a plus loan? Does that, does that factor in? I don't, I don't think with the plus loan, it doesn't. Because credit can't, it it, typically with people who make less, they don't have the resources or financial stability to pay back some of those loans that they take out. Yes. And so mm-hmm. well, and that's what I'm saying. Do they want to take out this plus right, loan? No. Yeah. No, because then it's like on the parents, but the parents are like, you go get your own loan. You know, mm-hmm. we are already in debt. So anyway, I mean, just bringing back that, that socioeconomic and dependent on parents that we're seeing that across the board from kindergarten up to college yeah, students. I see it in my, I know that parents want to help, but we also don't assign homework, it, but it would be so awesome. It would be so awesome if they could help out a little bit. And I wonder if there's a way that we can have them help out without making it homework. But like, I need, we need to practice writing our letters. Right. But, and then that helps them sounding, and I I don't want it to be homework, but also like, or you could, if you have time, I can send a book home, read it. Like you, we get a library book every week. Let's read to your student. Yeah. And we do that. And I think it depends on like what their work life is, if they're, siblings are taking care of them and their parents Mm -hmm. aren't we have a lot we have some we have some families that are single families and they they can't they can't they're working and they have older family members that's just it's a lot it's a lot to have a kindergartner in there and then that pushes up that who are the ones that the parents are available those are the ones that are being supported at home and then you still have the students who are not so then again that comes back to equity and Mm -hmm. equality so it's like i think that just 
the coming back to the question, what was most valuable for my practice, I think was understanding that what I need to do is support them at this younger age to prevent Absolutely. what is happening at the college level, 100%. because it is things that we can, we're, we, we can, can do. do. Yeah. yeah. Like there are so many ways to support them where they're not going to have to be coming up with these, these blocks once they get into college and if they don't have if they're being supported now then maybe they will go to college Mm -hmm. or trade school or whatever it is they choose to do but they'll have the confidence and they'll have had the support to understand that they can get Mm -hmm. there they won't have those mental barriers as absolutely What were the presentations that stood out the most to you? Were there any that you've taken knowledge from already and applied within your classroom? So as I was going to the Lily Conference, I was thinking about making the schedule of all the things I wanted to see um, and the presenters I wanted to go to. But one of the things that like really stood out to me was the agreements for self-care, myths, monsters, and mindset. And what was really cool about this because I was te- I'm teaching kindergartners and kindergartners can be rough because as kindergartners and trying to do 25, six, seven year olds, it can be hard. And I'm not the best at practicing self-care. I will stay really late, really late every day to do what I needed to do. I will get up really early or I'll just go home and go to bed in which I learned that going home and just going to bed isn't self-care. And so this presentation was like, when you go home, you need to take 30 to 40 minutes to talk about your day and let it go. Let it go. And then you're supposed to focus on yourself. And I did not let it go. I would talk all night long about, you know, the struggles I have, the successes I have. I never let that definition of me as a teacher and me as an individual flourish and go through and actually become permanent into my like necessarily life but and identify so much as a teacher which I am and I love what I do and I love teaching children but when I go home and then I'm talking about all day and I go back the next day I'm constantly in that rotation of Mm -hmm. being a teacher being a teacher but I'm much more than a teacher Mm. and I what really inspired me is that I started going home I still go home and go to bed because working with kindergartners is exhausting but I now go home and I try to live. I put a timer on. I let myself talk about my day for 45 minutes max. And then I just enjoy my night. I do something that is recharging. I do something that actually is spiritual, which they talked about a lot. Huh. And I'm not really a spiritual person, but I do believe that, you know, there's a higher thing in this world. But that I just like take time. I meditate a little bit. I reflect about who I am as a person and how I can help myself be more mindful about who I am and my breathing. Um, and I feel like it has helped me in the classroom a lot because I'm feeling recharged to go each day with a new mindset that today is going to be the day. It's a new day. It's a new opportunity and everyone's going to do their best. And if not, you know, that's okay. They're kindergartners. If we have a rough day, it's a rough day. It's not any reflection on me. It's not a reflection on them. And we just continue to keep flourishing the knowledge and as well as um, just who they are as individuals. Yeah. And I think that's exactly where it's been getting sticky for a lot of us in the senior cohort. But I know like the three of us have talked about it for sure is when you said, if we have a rough day, it's okay. Right. Because mm-hmm. as students, a lot of the time we were striving for that, striving for that A. 
And if you didn't produce that A, then it was completely on you, right? Like it was a you thing. You could independently create and produce something that was reflective of your effort for the most part, right? Like Versus a fixed mindset. A bit, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Versus in teaching, there are 27 people contributing to whether or not that's a productive day whether or not that day can be deemed a success. Mm -hmm. And yet we're still finding a way, I know personally, to place it all on one individual's shoulders, right? And so going home with the idea of was today a success or not is not healthy and is not good to resonate on for as long as we have, which is where the 30 to 45 minute thing is actually really interesting because as problem fixers, we want to try to just put in enough, put in enough like mental work outside of the day to make it fixed by tomorrow. And that's just not how teaching works. Fixed. Right. That's an interesting word. <laughs> Let me just say, uh, but the, we can't just slap a Band-Aid on things. Like I said before, three years of COVID and now we expect iReady scores to be at at grade level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Right. 13% growth rates. Hey, I mean... The fact that they're even trying that's rather than rate. just uh, clicking and, and just pressing the button, next, next, mm-hmm. next, 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 that's progress. Mm-hmm. So I, I, th- I find it interesting that like we put so much on our own shoulders and think that we are failures if everything isn't perfect. It's been three years of chaos and now they're coming back into a classroom that's structured Mm-hmm. And we are ex- we expect a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It has been a year, so there is a little bit of like they need a not they need to, but you hope you hope that there is a little bit of progress in about being some air quotes normalcy. But one thing that they also talked about was the idea that not only talk like forty five minutes mm-hmm. if it's bad, then you talk about that, but you need to say the positive. Oh, yeah. If you're mm-hmm. not speaking that positive to yourself, then it's not positive for anyone. Mm. so you're in that mindset go ahead oh i was just gonna ask you so with the way that they talk about it is it like vent session then positive and then internal reflection is kind of where they're going well it was more of um that 45 minutes was vent session which is about 15 20 minutes Mm, okay and then positive for another 15 20 minutes Mm -hmm. minutes and then what can you do the next day for the 15 20 minutes okay and so so 45 minutes 45 minutes total and you're done done talking about work or done talking about the day unless you know a parent calls you or something then you have to you know make those accommodations they did talk about you know that setting yeah the setting boundaries but as an elementary teacher you can't do that little johnny wants to call little johnny's mom wants to call you and ask about little johnny's day and if they're available only at eight o'clock because that's when they get off of their shift right i'm answering their call at eight o'clock and talking about little johnny's day right because that's what I want for them to succeed. Mm-hmm. It's I it's it was more of the fact that you are trying to give yourself that boundary of that negative talk and also that work talk and you're leaving that behind and focusing on you other than a teacher. Like you still have to grade, you still have to do all those things that you should not have to take home, but we do. We have no choice. We have to do it. It's totally fine. Um we wish it was different. It's a different story, but it's that mindset. Because if you get your, they said, if you get yourself into that mindset and keep on going, that self-care is never actually going to be self-care. It's going to be belittling yourself. It's mm. going to be self-eating and detrimental to your self-psyche. And what does that in in turn do to those students the next day? You subconsciously 
start taking it out on your students the next day. Yeah, you're you're still holding it in. You're still holding it in. Mm-hmm. You're still feeling a little, you know, you can feel a little jaded or a little, your cup's not full anymore. It's now a quarter full. Right. And if you take it from a quarter and you keep on going. And it's only Tuesday. It's only Tuesday. What's going to happen right. by Friday? You're losing it. You're, you're not leaving it. your baggage at the door. You're bringing it. And the they, they did talk about baggage and leaving at the door. Like you can't just necessarily leave it. It's, it's yeah. But you can't have mindful practices that you are doing that can try to, it's just like teaching a student. You have to teach your brain to think mm-hmm. differently about mm-hmm. things and internal that's going to, re- that mindfulness will then reflect onto your students. Right. So your reactions mm-hmm. to things, you have control of your own reactions. Mm-hmm. And by doing that reflection prior to the next day, you're thinking, I'm feeling this way. If this happens, then I'm able to respond in a much better way than if I hadn't reflected at all. And another thing, I know we're just talking a lot about self-care. No, the, but it's so, it's so important for everyone in this like, field. Self-care needs to look a way that is not constantly on your phone. It's not where you're constantly reading a book. It's hmm. not constantly doing something that makes you escape from your life. If you're escaping, that's not self-caring, which I do a lot of escaping. Like I listen to audiobooks. I play a lot of video Same. games just to say, and I love games, but what they talked about is like, get your friends around you, mm. get the people who are close to you, build those relationships. Mm. Now, if you like, like I was, I, cause I raised my hand. I talked a little bit. I was like, okay, what about, I love, I actually love video games. Like, do you mm-hmm. play with somebody? Do you talk to other people? Right. If you play with other people, then that's a different story. It's more communal. Mm-hmm. It's communal. You're not just constantly trying to take your mind away. They're like, and I was like, I love board games. Like, play more board games. Yeah, board play games are amazing. People yeah. talk about everybody's like yourself other than like talk your talk to yourself other than talking to yourself about being a teacher. But also because of the friends that we have. I mean, not all of them, but we talk are, <laughs> yeah. are in this industry. So we're they, like, okay, we're not going to talk about this. And within five minutes, we're, we're talking about it. And we're like, wait, right. wait, 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 we weren't going to talk about And they did to say, do not talk about your work. Yeah. You can have that the couple of minutes giving a quick update, but do not talk about that daily struggle. If you're talking mm-hmm. about anything, talk about the positives that's happening. Yeah. Walk away from your work for Absolutely. a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway. Love that. There were other things that I gained, but I'll let someone else start this and I will talk about it a little bit. Okay. Um, so for me, the two that I I really resonated with, well, okay, the number one I really, really, really resonated with was the roundtable talk. And it was mm-hmm. striving for digital equity. Mm-hmm. And as you all know, I'm very much a techie. I love technology. Yeah, <laughs> no. Who'd have thought? What? <laughs> And the other one was the maximizing teaching for student success, which was based off of ADHD, being aware of ADHD and, and seeing what we can do within the classroom for those students. And anyway, those were the two that really resonated with me. But I'm going to talk about specifically the striving for digital equity because I brought your name up during the roundtable. Yeah. Oh, okay. The fact that we are expecting students to already know how to use the technology when going into, let's say, testing, mm-hmm. where a kindergartner who may not have ever had technology is needing to realize that this symbol means microphone, this symbol means listen, this color means go, this color means stop, mm-hmm. right? And they're walking in and they were saying college students are walking in 
having to know all of these things about technology, which are obviously a lot more complicated than what you deal with in kindergarten. Absolutely. But without training them and pre-training them to know what they need to do, they're just expecting them to be able to do it. And that's why we decided to use workshop and we use iPads during workshop mm-hmm. or workshop for like math and reading mm-hmm. just because we want them to get used to it. Right. Now, when they're doing the iReady, we are not allowed to help them. At all. Right. At all. Now, do we help them to get to where they need to be? Yes. Because they need to be able to get to the diagnostic to be able to take the test. Right. Once they're in the test or test question, air, air mods, assessment, let's say assessment, assessment, assessment. We're not allowed to do anything. We can't tell them like... This little symbol is the sound symbol, but there is, to, if, if kindergartners said they don't necessarily listen to the tutorial, but the tutorial does go through each, every step, every single time. Right. But they also may not have been trained to listen to tutorials prior to going into a test like and this. And we don't get to, like, they all wear headphones, so mm-hmm. I don't, you don't know if they're listening to it or not. And those assessments are not the most intuitive. And we, like, we gather them, we do. But do we use them? Are they actually a representation of their learning? Right. No, because it's for 30 minutes of testing and they're like, I'm done. I'm tap, tap, tap. totally done with this. I want to play a game on here. That's actually more fun and more interactive right. than them having to listen to something, then mm-hmm. press the correct answer. It's very monotonous in a way. And it's it's totally boring for kindergartners. Yeah. Thing, sorry, on an I ready tangent a bit is the, the test is based around the idea that if you get an answer right, it's going to give you a harder question. Right. If you get it wrong, it's going to give you, you an easier, easier question, question. Mm-hmm. until it finds kind your of spot, your, your spot. Level. Like your median or your... For yeah. our kids who are used to succeeding and are at or above grade level and already are the ones stressing the most, right? The ones that already beat themselves up the most academically. They are going to take longer on this test because they think that they're doing badly because they keep getting challenging questions. They keep having they to struggle. No, the answer. They're like, I, there was not in art, maybe it was in our class or the class right next to us. There was a student who was getting questions that they didn't even cover in the book because it was so advanced. Mm-hmm. And they were getting frustrated because you didn't teach this. You didn't <laughs> right. teach this to us. And they're like, yeah, I know. But it's like, they sometimes give you hard and hard questions. If you don't know it, that's okay. Just right. try your best. But some students, once they hit that roadblock, like there's a thing called productive struggle. Mm-hmm. And if they have gotten out of that productive struggle and they get to something too hard that they can't actually try to problem solve or figure out an answer, a possible answer, it's they, they shut down. Yeah. They shut down. And then yeah. what happens to the rest of their tests? They just mm-hmm. keep going down and down and down because that one question can send them in a, downward, a, a downward spiral. And that's a huge thing. I mean, so I'll just kind of go through the notes from this. Um, They talked about having access, but being underconnected and that there's this digital divide at this digital uh, inequity that it's not only about learning, but economy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's that was one that I was like, oof. they haven't. Some families can't afford phones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of children learn how to use technology through a parent's phone. Yes. And some of them don't have a smartphone or not have access to a smartphone. Right. And then there are families, like personally, I wouldn't have a child using a, a tablet or a phone until they are much, much older, just right. because their brains do not need the de- de- that device for them. They don't need it. Yeah. Well, and they talk about what we were just saying, that assumption that students know how to use technology, but also they talk about we're not teaching them digital etiquette. Mm. we're not providing the access to the resources. I mean, my school 
doesn't send anything, any technology home. But I know that my daughter's school where you work, Annabelle, they were sending home Chromebooks all they throughout. Were in the past, yeah. Yeah. And they apparently they weren't doing that where I was working, but it's in the same district. So they're not getting these ac- this access to these resources. And then also that socioeconomic class, that disparity. Mm-hmm. And the one that I found interesting was the self-efficacy and the metacognition. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> self-efficacy. I'm seeing a lot of the lack of that within mm-hmm. the classroom. And I all I can think about is those students that were either signed in with their cameras off. So were they actually even there? Or the ones who are have the older students who need the computer, the younger students maybe have one too and have no idea what they're doing because their older siblings who are there watching them because their parents are at work can't give them the support because they're doing their schoolwork at the same time. Mm-hmm. So these younger students coming in, the first thing that I noticed was fourth graders are walking up to me and they're like, what do I do? How do I do this? And I'm like, well, the instructions were just given to you. They're also on the board and we should have pictures. So, you know, providing all of the different ways that you can understand these instructions, but they can't do them because they need someone to walk them through it because they were walked through it mm-hmm. by their, like, there's also those ones that their parents were doing everything for them. Yeah. yeah. And that's the hardest part in kindergarten. I'll keep going back to kindergarten. That's well, that's where you're at. So, <laughs> so like, and it's the fine line, like you want to give them the independence that they need to work and do things by themselves. But then I have the students who depend on me and it's a fine line, but like, how do I get them to be independent, but also be successful? Mm-hmm. Right. So I do yes. it because I know I have students who are multi uh, ELL students. Yeah. So I have ELL students that don't know our language. They don't know it, but I'm still expected to teach them the parts of like a walrus or a penguin and then sounding out words, but they can't, even, they can't speak yet. And I know they understand more than I once they give credit for it, but what I, I can give them independency, but I also still have to do it because they don't have the tools to succeed. And so I'm doing it for all on a big projector. And then my students who I know can do it are just like waiting for the answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, how do I, how do I scaffold this? Because I can't do small groups for this 15 I, minute lesson. I don't have enough time I wish, in the day to do that. I wish. I wish I had a dot camera mm. that was actually at a table that I can have my students who need the support come over. Then after I give them the support, write it on the thing. And then, then after they've tried and they've, mm-hmm. you know, not necessarily succeeded, then they get the, the look, but then they'll just wait for me to put the answer up there anyway. So I don't know. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. And I'm trying to find that balance. Yeah, well, in, in the digital part, oh, if yeah. you don't have access to that. And access is an equity. Like, yeah. that was a big takeaway from that roundtable for me was access is an equity. Because for so long, it was it was a push to get computers in school, mm-hmm. right? Push to get computers in school or for computer lab, right? And that was the push, first push, right? Yeah. But then with COVID, we started, we started getting Wi-Fi put in at houses that didn't have it, right? right. Mm-hmm. So once again, we would think that would be that would be the school to hotspot yeah. so everyone would come and sit in their cars mm-hmm. and right. do hotspots from their car. Like that would be some sort of equalizer. And while that did help, it's still this issue of marginalized communities not having the background or the prior knowledge right. to help the students succeed in that. Right. 
right? And that's, once again, what we're going to see when they hit college, right? It's going to hit our first generation students the most. It's going to hit our multilingual students the most. It's going to hit our students who didn't get that parental support, who are now being told to be independent and are looked down upon for not having that skill set already built, right? Right. And as they get older, it gets worse. And I mean, it also comes down to institution by institution. So yeah. When I was in middle school and high school, they mostly, when we did get to work on computers, it was mostly through Google Docs, right? That is where I'm comfortable. When I moved into WSU's program, everything was through Word. So the first day that I interacted with Word for a school assignment was my first day at WSU. And I did not know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And I did mean, you know the trick to download it and then put it into Google? Nope. Oh. I didn't learn that until you taught me. I mean, that's just a, that's a singular example. And I come from a family that was supportive where they could be with tech right mm -hmm. that and assumption that students know how to use technology right right <laughs> but it's still different and it's it's a whole entire world of new skills for you to learn okay. on technology and once you learn them it's very very helpful but it's an entire it's a, an you entire have to be realm. able to manipulate it so yeah. you don't have the ability like it's different it's like when you're reading. just doing <laughs> a test or something on your computer at school, you're not actually having it. Like I've, I've been a gamer for many years. So I've always been around technology mm -hmm. and I like took time and I just like manipulated things and explored it and destroyed computers because I clicked on the wrong link. And then like things that you don't act like dig digital citizenship is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And like not knowing how to have that prior knowledge because maybe your family wasn't technology savvy or had technology mm -hmm. or didn't have the ability or equity to or funds to be able to do it or any of those things mm -hmm. you can't expect them to have that background and then be like oh why didn't you make a, a spreadsheet on your document or why didn't you right. embed a picture for x y and z mm -hmm. and make it look fancy right and they're not getting that ed tech training mm -hmm. that we received and they're like i was like where's our ed tech class for my elementary school what like, i thought we were gonna have that class do you anyone else remember having a keyboarding class i do like, well i had a specifically a typing class in yeah. like middle school do, you, do we have i don't we don't have that anymore junior high or something um well okay so in my yeah, third grade in my third grade classroom everything's on websites or apps now right so there's typing agent which is mm, something they can yeah. do when they finish work or sometimes it's a warm-up and that does teach them home row mm. and different typing skills which is great but they're on chromebooks right and i know in other districts you don't get chromebooks or laptops yeah, until middle school yeah. or until high school and you're supposed to teach them how to write and type essays in middle school when they're not getting their laptops until high school, meaning they are typing on an iPad. Do you remember um, in the middle school that we were in the last, the semester mm -hmm. before last, mm -hmm. all they had was an iPad and they had to type on the iPad. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't, not all of them had keyboards. Mm -hmm. Some of them had to actually type on it. I'm like, I could never type uh, on yeah. screen. And you want to try to teach proper grammar to kids that are already used to texting on their phones and using texting, right? Digital and they don't etiquette. have the keyboard to do it. So they're once again using their thumbs and typing like that mo much more closely to texting on their iPads. But for an essay, that's that's where we're losing that ability to write formalized essays when I was academic. in yeah academic essays when I was in middle school we didn't type our essays you wrote it in pencil in first physical yeah uh -huh. and then your final draft your publishing would happen in pen yeah, right absolutely same yeah that is what it was Until and you could school. 
you could use two fingers for your indent, right? Not the tab button. And so that was what made it so we could practice the structure of an essay. And that's not what's happening anymore. Mm -hmm. No, there's so well, there's so and there's so much time that you have to teach so much. uh, I mean, and we're talking about elementary school because Mm -hmm. we're teaching all of the subjects. So here's how much time you should be spending on all of these things. Oh, by the way, the amount of time when you add it up together is like one to two hours past after they've left school. Right. (laughs) So you're like, okay, so how do I manipulate this in a way where I'm not, I'm taking away what is unimportant. But when you get canned curriculum, everything's important. Right. So. And everything's important. And the canned curriculum is meant to be hours long. And you only have, like for me, I have a math curriculum that's supposed to be almost an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. And I get an hour and then it's supposed to be individualized. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to have like this concept development. And then you have these like quick fluency things. And then you have the problem set. Mm -hmm. Well, we do workshop method. So I don't get to do the concept development. Oh, And I have to teach an hour and 20 minutes and 15 to each student when they come into my workshop. So there's yeah. a lot being lost mm-hmm. and there's a lot being shortened and sweetened. And like, yes, there's some, a lot of repetitiveness, but it's, it's not right. It's just not equitable. And they're, they're losing out on the things because they curriculum box curriculum doesn't think about actually how much time. Yeah. And are you finding, because again, going back to the digital equity, mm-hmm. I, I don't really find that I'm. I'm using the computer a lot. I mean, they're allowed to write their essays on it. Mm-hmm. We have some that use like uh, book creator to create mm-hmm. things, but that is their, that's actually due to individualized things that work for these students or IEPs mm-hmm. or whatever that may be. And they're also able to, to use the voice to text thing. We're just trying to get them to write something mm-hmm. that follows a thesis and then a, a, your reasons or whatever it may be yeah, absolutely. Um, or write a story to where you have like the beginning, the middle, the end, make sure you're getting the heart of the story. So it's not based on how they can type. It's just based on like how they're putting their words together. But really, I think that's, that's mostly what we're doing. And, and when, when we are doing things like phonics, we are creating it digitally because we don't want to waste paper, but that's not how it's telling us to mm. do it. It's telling Same. us to print these out and, cut up all these little scraps and have them do this. So we're really making them do more on the computers than they would if we were following the curriculum exactly. But if I look at like what we're supposed to be doing digitally, the only thing that really we're supposed to be doing digitally is iReady. Yeah. Uh So the only thing that we do digitally is iReady. Well, it's kindergarten. So we do, they get iPads during sometimes reading workshop and math workshop. And it's the only times they get during the day Mm. and they have to do iReady and then Zern for math. Okay. And then there is, we just got actually a program called Pebble Go, something Pebble and Pebble Go, something like that, um, that actually can read them stories and stuff oh, nice. to them to okay. be independent. Um, and there's a bunch of little games that we can do that is a- academic based. Okay. And it, well, how about yours? Like what, what percentage would you, or I mean, you don't have to give the percentage, but what would you be doing if you weren't adding additional things onto computer slash? So if I was just looking at the curriculum then there should be no reason for the students to be on the computer for math, right? Mm -hmm. The curriculum was built so that it could be taught virtually, right? So there are virtual resources for them to be able to manipulate base 10 online, right? There are are those options through this curriculum. But during our instructional period for math, it is completely pen and paper. Hmm. That being said, our warm-up for the day is through extra math, 
which is something to practice basic math facts and get repetition in. And it's differentiated. So each student works through addition and then works through subtraction, multiplication, division. And with that one, it's completely online. But what's nice about that one is it collects a lot of data right then and there for you. So we can show students they had a green, yellow, or red day, right? We can show them what problems they keep missing. We can show them their growth over time on a chart. And so all of that is at our fingertips. And it's really nice. Our students enjoy that part. Um, my issue with it being there, our Chromebooks have touchscreen and they have keyboard, right? And it's effectively flashcards. It's effectively flashcards, but the typing time that it takes them to even just type in 18, 17, mm-hmm. whatever, is another fine motor skill that they're getting the practice on and the practice on is great, but it is slowing down some of our students who I think academically could be performing higher on these. And it it just brings you back to that. Is the technology helping or is it hindering? Overall, I think it's helping, right? But I learned my multiplication on flashcards. We did flashcards with our friends. We did flashcards in class and it was verbal. It was all verbal. Now, that being said, I do have a few kids who their auditory skills are less developed than their fine motor skills. So for them, this is actually going to be a better representation Mm -hmm. than if I were to ask them Mm -hmm. their times tables. So it's kind of hit or miss based off the kid. So one thing that I went to was um, the role of discourse in student success. Oh. So one thing that uh, my mentor teacher has tried to get me to like really think about and really be more mindful of is how much I'm talking and how much they're talking. Mm. And she's like, if you're talking more than 50% of the time, you are talking way too much. Yeah. And I'm like, am I? (laughs) I feel like they talk a lot all day. But, But is it on task? But is it on task? And is it actually... And that's a whole skill to teach them too, right? Academic discourse, yes. getting kids to talk about their learning to other kids in a way that helps them learn. Yeah, that's, that's a skill set. That's a whole week. That's mm-hmm. a whole week of just teaching academic discourse. What really resonated with me about this is that you can have students constantly work together and I don't have them work a lot together. I have them work independently or with mm-hmm. me. And so I've started doing like, group work like they can work on it together they can talk about it together mm-hmm. and now i saw this wonderful this video um oh my goodness i can't remember the name of the person she's like okay now you're gonna work together and you are gonna work together like seagulling them together and you're gonna work together and you're gonna work together like using their hands to get them together and then when you are talking to someone you're listening you're, you're leaning in you're whispering to the other person and talking about it and then she'd go around and she's like, make sure you're, you're two going to work together. Okay. And she asked a question. It's like, tell your friend about what you did this weekend. Mm-hmm. And she was like, remember, close and whispering, close and whispering. And then that concept reminding helped them like started doing it. And then what was really cool about it. And this is this presentation made me go back and start doing it. And then someone else, my supervisor gave me the notes to like, go and talk about they go look and look for this person. And this person did all of these like movements, but also what was really cool is that it was a constant reminder. She's like, Oh, are we talking about the weekend? Are you talking about the weekend? And she would say it so quiet. Mm. She would whisper it to them because she wants them to whisper. And it was just really like the whole setting and it like really helped them talk about the things they need to talk about. So I went in and I tried that very similar thing during workshop and it really worked. So you're using TPR and voice modulation? 
Yeah, yes. like okay. basically, yeah. Well, not total physical response. Like they don't have, like they're that? moving. Like they're not. Yes, doing yes. For me, I'm using TPR, and I'm also using my voice modulation, which is something I need to work on. Because when I want children to, if I want students to listen to me, I tend to go higher and higher and bring my voice l- louder. And for preschoolers, that worked so well. It worked so well. If you sound yeah. exciting about something and you're loud, they're gonna look at you. And they're like, oh, okay. Kindergartners? No. They, they 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 don't. And then they start to get like, oh, I'm so excited. I have so much energy. I'm going to start doing flips around the carpet because I'm so excited. And I'm like, don't do this. Your voice is getting louder. I'm going to get louder. And, I'm gonna... and so it's yeah. been really hard for my voice to like drop. And it's something that I'm working on because I'm not really good at voice modulation. I have to talk really loud and really excited and really exuberant. And I have to talk like this. <laughs> I still have an excitement in my voice. And I don't know exactly how to do that so this really helped me understand the importance of student discourse and to get myself into that mindset of they need to start talking more they need to talk to Mm. each other they need to talk to me they need to have their own thoughts heard and i know this i know this yeah partner one talk partner two listen active listening now partner two talk Partner one, active listening. But that's so hard to do for kindergartners. You can't say active listening. They don't know. They're like, what does it mean? Well, we've talked about it, though. Whole body listening skills. Yes. We say, like, but that's the thing that we've started really talking about it at circle time is the person who's the circle time leader gets to talk about the rules. Like, if you're holding the ugly otter, then you're the person who's allowed to be talking. If you're not holding the ugly otter, you should have your bubble in your mouth your eyes on the person who's holding the ugly and, the, and the yeah so we have jobs right? I'm stealing that. and Someone and Someone the leader right whoever now. is that job person for circle time that day or that week yeah. is the one who's saying this is what the expectations are mm-hmm. and then who would like to start if you have not and then at the end if you have not shared would anyone who didn't share like to share so that is their job as the circle time leader but then, like, you know, we rotate all of the jobs throughout. And how does that work? Do the students or, or the students? The students go look and they see what their jobs are. They're like, that's what I'm doing today. We have to remind them maybe like five, six times. Like, go look at your job. What are you supposed no, to do? we don't do jobs in kindergarten, which we did. But I did jobs. I did jobs in junior kindergarten. I did jobs you in preschool. You can totally do jobs in okay. kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Like, it is good. It helps them with student agency. Oh, I, 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 I you, you. I'm in grants. <laughs> I know you are. I love you. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. I see you. <laughs> Validated. I hear you. I see you too, Tom. <laughs> okay. And no, I'll tell you. That's yeah. Again. What did what? Since we're all talking so much, I'm so sorry. Yeah, sorry. Oh man. Okay. I don't know how I'm going to transition this one. Just say it. Which one? What was the the topic? What was the name of the? We already talked about it a little bit already. We did it well. No, mm-hmm. non cognitive factors. So what are you talking about? Decolonized grading. Okay. Alrighty. So one that I went Segway to. Segway done. <laughs> one that I went to, I believe it was Friday morning, maybe Saturday morning. I don't know. Um, was Decolonized Grading by Dr. Patricia Castoris. Might be pronouncing that one wrong. From Mount Royal University, which is in Canada, which was also very interesting because her focus was within social, social work, social oh. work. But her university has been working a lot on decolonized everything, decolonized grading, decolonized instruction, bringing back indigenous practices into social work. So that. that is a lot of what her 
entire class was about was breaking down. It was a lot like our diversity class. Okay. In the whole breaking down the systems that are within social work and looking at it from a more holistic view and why so many of the individuals who could benefit from social work programs within indigenous communities close to where she teaches are not receptive to them. And it's because they're not systems that are effective, right? So because that is what she's teaching in the class, that's also what she started to use and decolonize her own instructional practices instead of just teaching them. Yeah, exactly. Modeling. Because she can't teach them to break down the system if she's not breaking down her own teaching system, Mm -hmm. right? So she took a concept called labor-based grading, which is like based upon students grading themselves and students kind of giving themselves benchmarks for what each grade would be. What amount of work is equivalent to this grade, right? And it's much more structured than that. But what she did to take that a step forward and make it more of a decolonized grading mindset or perspective with it was she made it so a lot there was a lot more multimodality and choices. So she has a lot of older returning students and she has a lot of students with diverse backgrounds and maybe they work full time and maybe this is a class that they need on their way to other like other greater things, right? So there's different levels of priority. So it's like bridging. Right. So there's different levels of priority for students with this class. And instead of being the teacher who tells everybody that this needs to be the class they put the most effort into, she tells them, I know that your investment in this class is going to be different. Hmm. So you're going to pick, you're going to make a labor plan, is what it was called a labor plan to get you where you want. These are these are what what standards I need to hit, I need you to hit to pass the class. But after that, how you design it is going to be how you reach what grade you want to reach, right? So, so and I have a slight more of a breakdown from there. Okay. But there was 20, 20% of the classwork, 20% of the grade was mandatory, right? Hmm. And it was reflections from guest speakers and that was to honor the guest speaker's time and to make okay. sure they were there, right? participating in the guest speaker presentations, and then a personal inventory and a privilege check that they did at the start of the term, which reminded me of the ideology. No, not even the ideology paper. The one we did before that, the personality, like the identity survey. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So it was similar to that, but then the rest of their assessments were they, it was 80% and they could mix up the percentages based off of different different projects that they did. So there was case studies that they could do, right? You read over in a textbook effectively, read over case studies and then reflect on them. And they had personal projects they could do. Somebody did a movie reflection and talked about, they took, they took the Joker, right? And then looked at it from a psychological perspective and what, what interventions would have been necessary to help. Leto? No, the most recent Joker. Okay. Um, And what, what intervention strategies would have been beneficial to negating Oy. the Joker's Okay, behavior, I... Uh, right? That would be a fun project. Right. And that was all... They turned it into a comic, right? They okay. did a reflection in the project that was a comic. And so they got to decide how much weight they gave the case study, how much weight they gave their personal project, right? right. And they turn in a draft at the start of the term, and then they have until the drop period to to revise that plan after it's been approved, right? Because you know how we have that deadline where we can drop the class. Right. So they have until that time, right? And then they 
from there forward have to stick to their plan, right? So they conference with the professor and the professor said that more often than not, the issue she has with the drafts that the students turn in is that the students are highballing themselves. Uh, the always. students are putting more work on themselves than she would have given them, right? Does that sound like anybody we know? Right. Stop. All three of us. We but, are awesome. Like above and beyond for things that we don't even necessarily don't need, to. need to. Right. So she's like, girl, chill. Um, <laughs> but how do you, how did you talk about that? How do you combat that? Mm -hmm. So she would talk to them one-on-one -on -one and she would lay out, these are the standards that you're looking to hit. You hit those in the first four assignments you gave yourself. You don't need to schedule in this extension to this project. Or maybe you only need to do two case studies if you're planning on spending this, this long on this major project that you're doing right and because okay. of that something something that we've all talked about on the podcast before but something that she brought up that she saw the most in this was student buy-in if they're getting to pick what their final project is and how much weight to give that final project of course they're going to be more invested in learning the material to apply to their final project because it's something they are owning and they are creating instead of just producing for you 100 percent. Right? i feel like i feel like this is a mixture of like rubric and goal setting and like just all, but exactly. but all student led mm -hmm. exactly and the conferencing is something that i i want to take and i haven't gotten this far yet i think it's going to take more right and i don't think i don't think this would quite be applicable at the third grade level at least not yet but i think what she did at the college level could be applied to the middle school level for sure and i want to kind of wrap mm. my brain around it a bit but her focus is the whole whole reason behind her labor plan was social justice compassion student teacher negotiation and challenging the current system right so it also required the students to have individual conversations with her which broke down that barrier that can exist in a lot of programs yeah with the student to teacher relationships so it put that there and it also made students think about rigor from a quality over quantity level totally right because rigor shouldn't be levels of stress rigor should be levels of quality of work we, what right? you said diversity right yes and the final aesthetic in dr raka's class and shabim's class allowing us to or well she kind of required us mm -hmm. to be creative right yeah just yes. to pull us out of the the standard mold Although I, I did well, she said it must be an art representation. Yeah, and that's what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Like, so a lot of people were like, oh, I'm not great at art. Like but discomfort. Let me just lean into this discomfort. But at the same time, I feel like she's she's allowing for multimodal what you, the person that you watched. But I felt like that was similar to what Shamim was doing. But I also found that I was more invested in something like that because I was doing the research that I wanted to do yeah. for the project that I was creating for myself mm -hmm. because it was like, do whatever you want. Right. So I found that I put more energy into it because I had created a passion project for myself that I wanted to represent in a positive way. And it meant something to me. Yeah. And that's kind of what she found too. And it also, it did the thing that we've talked a lot about, especially with Dr. Holly's book, with harnessing like students' assets. Right. Oh, yeah. Harnessing their prior knowledge, right? So she had a few a few students that were all work already working within fields that they were investing a lot of time and energy into, right? So if you're already working at a community center, then do your final project around that community center so that it's something you're passionate about and it's something you're building upon, but it's also not something you have to create more space in your schedule for. Mothers or parents, for example, could 
if they were focusing on something with their kids could make their project about their kid if they were having not about their kid individually of course because it's a broader band but something around a concept that you're already working with mm -hmm. so that it's something you have a personal tie to and skills already around and the last piece that i i didn't think of when i was looking at this but that she brought up was it's more trauma informed yeah to teach this way because yeah, it's once again helping chip away at that little mindset of school isn't for me from marginalized communities, right? Because yes, this school is for you. This whole class was designed by you for you. This is yours. I'm here that to sucks. guide you, but this is yours. And, and this is your journey. Yeah. And this is your journey. And where are you going to take that journey? And you're creating it for right. yourself. I, I love oh, that. That takes mm -hmm. all of like interest, drive, and really wraps it up in a nice bow mm -hmm. and actually will help children being um children to be more or children as well as adults mm -hmm. all of us be more um intrinsically motivated to be able to be successful yeah mm -hmm. and it talked about reducing teacher privilege which i thought was a weird con like reduce it it reduced teacher privilege yeah okay it's a privilege based like that is given to the teacher within a school or college what does that mean? Well, I mean, we're we're direct instructing all the time, like, like how we talk constantly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So okay. it reduced so the privilege that she, like the pedestal, effectively, mm -hmm. that she placed herself on previously. Because she's a teacher. She's mm -hmm. authoritative above all of that. Right. So it once now, again brought that more communal. Communal effect. That she is helping each and every student mm -hmm. going through and is on the same level. I just want to support you and give you that scaffolding versus being like, I'm going to teach you all. You must listen to me and do exactly what I say, right. how I say, and what I say. Kind of how Kim was doing in talking about in science, where yeah. it was like student-led classrooms. Yeah. Yes. And we took, and we, we, even with our science final, mm -hmm. we got to choose our own standard. We got yeah. to make a curriculum based on it. And all we did was ask her for insight. Yeah. Ask her for corrections. Ask her for all of the stuff that really kind of just made us feel. It could be the reason why our class was the way it was, but. Made us feel on an equal playing field. It was on an equal playing field versus seeing her at, like, we did see her as a professor and someone who had the knowledge, but it was more of like, she was more of a resource than mm -hmm. a ultimate grader of sorts. Yeah, right. she was more support-based than she was, like you said, pedestal above. Yeah. Like, and something and all be all. Yeah, something some of the professors asked during this, right? Some of the professors who were watching mm -hmm. asked was, how did this contribute to your workload? How did you have time to have individual conferencing? And she's like, well, I didn't have to grade papers anymore. <laughs> I didn't have to grade as many papers. So I was able to spend that time having connections with my students. And then they graded their own stuff. And of course, she looked it over. Of course, she had to look at the final papers. She's like, but all of those were so much more interesting. I got to look at a comic strip about interventions with the Joker type of thing. And right. then right after that, look at like community resource based stuff or just passion project after passion project. Which also reminds me, of course, of our multimodal formative assessments class, like not class, but presentation mm -hmm. in the sense of it's a lot easier to listen to a podcast while you're cleaning your house right. than to grade papers and do that too, right? So this actually made her workload about the same as it was prior, but created a dynamic that she was much more ethically comfortable with because the other part she was battling with that she talked with us about was being part of a movement to decolonize the the whole school to an extent, right? To decolonize this whole system as a white woman, right? 
So that's part of what she was also trying to do while reducing t teacher privilege was to value and honor the voices she has coming into her classroom. Right. So they can see her as more of a conduit than a power source, I guess. I love that. Yeah. What was it like being a presenter to individuals who are professors who have doctor degrees? For me, I think that it was a little surreal coming in as a bachelor student talking to people who have much more education than I, but also being the expert in what I was talking about. I think it was just a little surreal, but it was also really validating because afterward, people were walking up to us in the hallways or at dinner or like catching up with us as we're walking out of the room and telling us that not only did we do master's quality work, but that what we ha had said meant something to them and they had learned from us. So that was what it was for me. I think something on a more trivial level for me was the difference between our Orate conference presentation and this presentation. The main difference being, personally, like I've had more time in a classroom since then. So my presentation skills was something I noticed more in the Lilly conference versus in the Orate conference. We were also pre presenting in front of professors, but I didn't feel as comfortable versus this time I was more confident in how I was presenting and I think I was able to get my point across better. So it was it was good to feel that at a higher at something that was just as high stakes because I've been teaching in front of kids all the time now. So that was interesting just to see the presentation level change as far as that goes. But it was also really cool to watch them react to how we were presenting, right? Thomas would say something and all of a sudden they're writing down a note and I'm like, good, we got them, right? We got that hook. Mm. We finally, we said Absolutely. something, we said something that got them thinking. And that was, that was our whole goal of going there. So it was nice to finally have that feeling of we're, we're communicating what we've been trying to communicate and they're getting it, right? And physically seeing it instead mm -hmm. of hoping that they're hearing it through this podcast. Right, right. Because to an extent, I don't know about you guys, but I was afraid that we were going to get there and we were going to have went through all of this and we were going to go to present and end up presenting to an empty room, right? Every single Percent. time we present. Mm -hmm. That's what I, that was my, that's my fear. What I got out of this was, it was absolutely amazing. I was oh so fearful at the beginning. But then about, I don't know, two to three minutes into our presentation, as we started talking and like interacting with them, just because that like, or of like uh, that pedestal status of like, they're doctorates, we are not even graduated with our BAs yet, mm -hmm. we just have associates. What do, like, how do we present and also make sure that it's awesome for them? Right. And then after two minutes and starting seeing them interact, they're actually um, nodding their hands, getting all those nonverbal communication signals they were actually very interactive within our lesson uh, or in within our presentation. And we, what was, I think the kicker for it all was we had a, a time for them to reflect about things. Mm -hmm. And instead of that, they had so many questions yeah. that they took up the entire time to reflect on how they would do it in their practice. But they have questions on how could they make it work for them? And mm -hmm. so we took individual professors asking questions like, okay, this works in education, but how can I work this into my field of dental work or engineering or some business. of the other business? Yeah. 
And like, is there any papers that you do that could be a little bit different? Could it be a, a poster board? Could it be an art representation? Just like, think about how much work you might have to take away from yourself and give it to your students for them to understand the quality. And then when Jessica, when Dr. Masterson said that it was less work for her, like that light bulb went off in all of their heads. Mm-hmm. And then they heard how much we actually improved our understanding about being culturally linguistically responsive and culturally linguistically pedagogy and how we actually understood that and how much we took away. I think that that was the most inspiring, amazing thing. And then as both of you, as Jamie said, that they came up to us afterwards, that they were asking questions. They wanted our, they wanted like, I know that we wanted to get this podcast to be more publicly known, but just the fact that they were asking about our podcast if we got more people to possibly be on our podcast um that they were just all so it was just so surreal i just Mm -hmm. i i i left with my cup overflowing and full of like pride within myself yeah and i i am so proud of all three of us and where we've gone and what we've done and and what we have accomplished and ba students (laughs) don't do this kind of work and we are doing this kind of work and not only are we doing this work we're getting published with jessica masterson possibly like there's there's things in the works that make what we've done extremely meaningful and like i would love to go to another conference but if like this was our last conference so be it so be it 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 was it we went without without a hitch it was amazing it was wonderful and i i'm just blessed to have known all of you and to have done it and also to the wonderful donors who made this possible to us. It was just amazing. And Thomas, you reminded like you your recap or your reflection just reminded me of something else as far as getting like seeing their light bulbs go off, right? We did have one individual who before leaving the room mm. edited her canvas page. Oh yes. To have a multimodal formative assessment in 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 substitute for a reflection paper. So that was that was the physical proof right there that not only were they pretending that they were interested, but it actually meant something. To it was them. so funny. I was walking past. I'm like, oh, I was, like, I was making a joke. I'm like, oh, I know that page. That's all we have to use for. Mm-hmm. And and she's like, oh, I'm, I'm very guilty. I'm just going in there, changing it right now because this was so great. And I'm like, yes, we thank we you. Made it to help other people make it easier for their job, but also be more meaningful for their students. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. I, I think that that was a huge thing is that we were able to see that we were making a difference and, and what we were saying was was useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I love that I can see the analytics on our podcast and I can see how many people have looked at it or where they've come from. And because we're international and we have like a large percentage in Germany, randomly um, enough, that's like one of our highest... <laughs> percentages that is outside of the United States. But I mean, we've gotten so far and the reason that we did it was an intrinsic reason. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like the grade. It was, I want to be able to do something. I came out and I was like, oh my gosh, I would so much rather do a podcast than do a paper. It was way more work than that 500 word reflection would have been, but it was more fun. It was something that I wanted to do. It's something that goes out to people who may not have that accessibility to the knowledge that we're releasing or even in a sea of tons of material about CLR, Mm -hmm. we are getting really, really good books and good resources that we can share with pre-service teachers, with teachers who are currently in service, who only get like a couple hours of PD 
and throughout not, the year about it. And not all programs are emphasis on social justice and understanding of how that all relates into our program. And most programs don't have do. DL as an endorsement yeah, absolutely included. Mm-hmm. They have to pay extra for it. And that's like, well, now we can, now we're providing knowledge for free the way it should be. Absolutely. And, and people hopefully, hopefully in a very, yeah, in a meaningful way. That yeah. is like understanding from not necessarily, like, I know that our books can be very academically rigor, r- rigorous. Right. And we're providing in a way that's, I don't know, in layman's, layman's terms. terms. I was about to say dumbed down, but it's not dumbed down. It's just more of like an understandable layman's terms sort of way. And three that, different viewpoints of that. Yes. And from three different backgrounds. Three different just, backgrounds, three different viewpoints, and also reminding them to take that information and research it themselves because mm-hmm. what we are providing are our opinions and yeah. our understandings, but it's not we're giving you the material to be able to obtain that on your own and read it on your own and form your own opinion. Let me reset that. It is fact-based, but opinion fact-based. It's our opinions about facts that we read. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) This was such an amazing opportunity. We just want to take a moment to thank Dr. Jessica Masterson, as well as Dr. Tariq Akmal and our amazing donors for making it a possibility. Yes, thank you so very much. It was so amazing. And this opportunity was something that we have, we weren't able to do without the funds to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. And Jessica Masterson for going above and beyond and helping us cultivate this podcast and making it all it is. And I just, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart, because it just, it was amazing. It was just truly amazing. Yes, thank you so much. I think Thomas and Jamie, you guys hit it right on the head, getting to experience this at, at a bachelor's level instead of having to wait to be at a master's or PhD level, Jamie, um, to get <laughs> to get to experience these types of things. It really was a great way to reinvigorate our passion for our podcast, but also share our passion for our podcast. And share our passion for multimodal formative assessments. And everything that we've learned in the program thus far. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for coming along with us on this academic journey. Click that follow button so you can join us next time for more ins and outs of education, past, present, and future.